Thanks so much, Joy. I appreciate that. All right, I am on the floor because I want to get up close and personal, eh? Eh? No, it's making you a little bit scared, isn't it? Uh, I've got something in this bag that I would like you to try and guess what it is. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah? You just put your hand out. You volunteered yourself, brother. You know that? Absolutely volunteered yourself. So I want you to put your hand in here and try and guess what you think it is, but you're not allowed to look, okay? All right, all right. Touch it. What do you think it is? A napkin. A napkin? Oh, okay, okay. You have a touch there. What do you think it is? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm looking at you, Rob. I'm looking at you, Rob. Get your hand in there. What, what is it? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? It's like a napkin. It's like a napkin, okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? You want to touch this? Come here. Come on. Come on. You want to? No. She's like, no, get away from me, freak. <clears throat> what do you think that is? A tongue. You think it's a tongue. Why would I have a tongue in a bag is what you're asking yourself. Well, that's absolutely right. It's a cow tongue. Yeah, yeah. Anyone want sanitizer now? You didn't even touch it and you're like, give me sanitizer. It's a cow tongue. Has any, you need to see it closer? He's the barbecue guy. You're like, hey, could you barbecue this? Hey, it's just a cow tongue. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's like this. That's all it is. Are you new here? Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Look at the size of this bad boy right here, right? That's one heck of a tongue. But we know this. The Bible says that the power of life and death is within the cow tongue, right? We know that. Imagine, I mean, it's, talk about if, if this was the size of your tongue, it could really give people a tongue lashing, right? Like at the size of that thing. So, so I want to talk about the power of life and death being in the tongue. You need a photograph up close and personal? Let's do a selfie together, right? You do a selfie? Here we go. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing the power, the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And in James, it even says that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It directs and steers a whole massive ship, and yet it's just a tiny little rudder. Just the mention of words or even the withholding of words make a difference of what direction we take in life. It makes a difference of what other people's directions are taking in life. Your tongue dictates the level of your marriage. Your, your tongue dictates the level of your own life. What's even more powerful and more scary is your tongue dictates your children's futures. Because what you're saying or not saying makes all the difference to what they actually believe. Now what I want to do is I want to quickly read from Romans here because I want to look at uh, uh, this guy Paul who was probably one of the best evangelists there was. And we're already talking about this month in the whole series about an evite, which is all about evangelism. And we want to talk about what it is to tell other people about the great things that God has given us and how they can have that too. That's what evangelism is. Now, many of us maybe are not comfortable with that. Other people have no problem with that. But what I thought we should do is we should look at the guy who was really the best at this. And this guy is called Paul. And he was writing in this book that we call Romans. And he was writing to a group of people who were Jewish people who were living in Rome who had become Christians. They had decided to become Christ followers. 
And what he was doing, he was writing to them in order to try and help them to discover what they should do next in life, how they should live out their own Christianity. Now, let's not get this wrong. Let's not consider that he was writing to people who had no clue about God. These were Jews. They knew all about God. They knew the ways of God. They knew the ins and outs of God. They knew what's right and what was wrong. But he was writing to people who knew all of this stuff, but hadn't been living out the level of their Christianity, of Christ in us, at a way that he should have been living out. And so he was speaking to me, wrote to me, he said, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have. What does that word say? Said and done. By the power of? So it tells us there's three things he saw or he did, the three things that he held to in order to become a witness to other people. It was by what the word was, what the words that came out of his mouth, his actions, and the signs that were actually manifested in his life. And I'm not saying that you have to suddenly uh, contrive miracles or, 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 or for some reason, but it's simply the power of God working in his life. And so I don't really want to look at all of these things today, but what I want to do is I want to look at words. I want to look at the power of words and the type of words that should be coming out of our mouth, from our tongue. Now, I realize that today we text, we, you know, we Facebook and Snapchat and all that type of stuff, but whether you like it or not, it's still words, right? And the more I kind of fling this about, maybe you'll pay attention. If I see you falling asleep, I'll just start throwing tongues at you, right? <laughs> But there are three words that I believe that God wants us as Christians to have on our tongue. It's the word of faith, it's the word of hope, and it's the word of love. So let's look at the first one, the word of faith. The word of faith. It says, say a word of faith. Now, in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, which was another section of this, this chapter, it said that Paul was writing to the Romans and he said, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So what I want you to do is I want someone to shout out to me a scripture that has the word faith in it. Anyone? Not not by sight, but by faith. That's it? Pick the shortest one, didn't you? That's good. Faith without works is dead, absolutely dead, right? Anyone else? Give me another scripture on faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and not seen, okay? Give me another scripture. Anyone? Whoever shouts out loudest is the one that gets my attention. What did you say? Faith comes by hearing, okay? What else? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. All right, let's think about this, right? So people need to know God. They need to have a relationship with God. They need to be able to please God, right? Every child has to please their parent. Oh, no, we just accept them as they are. Let me tell you, I don't accept my children if they're disobedient. I make them obedient. I help them to become what they're meant to become, right? I want them to be pleasing to me. And so what we do is we train our children in the way that he or she should go so that they can have a proper relationship with us. The same is true with everybody here on earth. God wants us to be obedient to him. So people need to know how to have a relationship with God, to be pleasing to God. But without faith, they can't please God. How do they get faith? Someone just said they got faith by hearing the word. 
What does hearing mean? What does that imply? Hearing implies that something has to be said. Something has to come off of our tongues in order to go into someone else's ears. So there has to be a word of faith in my mouth that is spoken out that might be received by someone else that doesn't have a relationship with God and suddenly faith grows in their heart and in their lives and in their minds and they start acting in the way that is actually obedient to Christ. They act in a way that is pleasing to God for without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is one of the most powerful things we can have in our lives. But we have a problem with faith. Let me tell you about this problem. There's a guy we've got up here on the the screen here called uh, James Stockdale. And he was a U.S. Navy uh, uh, vice admiral. He's a very senior fellow. And he fought in Vietnam. And when he fought in Vietnam, he got shot down. Has anyone heard of this guy before? He got shot down during Vietnam. And he was one of the most senior uh, officers that got shot down. He got put into uh, this prison. It was quite a horrific prison. In fact, he's got a famous name called the Hanoi Hilton. Have you heard the Hanoi Hilton? Right, okay, so you know exactly what we're talking about. It was a very brutal uh, uh, prison for, for the American prisoners to be taken into, and they were treated very badly. And what he did was he realized he needed to come up with ways of encouraging and keeping the morale of his soldiers up. And so he devised ways of them to be able to secretly communicate with each other by tapping letters out with spoons, etc. They didn't use the Morse code. They had to come up with this whole new thing. And then he got dragged in front of like cameras in order to try and show to the world how well the officers were being looked after. And he said, no, 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 I'm not being used as propaganda. So he, he started cutting himself to let blood run down on his face. So they cleaned his face, put a cap on it. So he took a stick and started beating his own face in order that they couldn't put him in front of the world so that they could protect like, hey, we're treating everyone fine. He said, they're not treating us fine. We have, to, we have to accept the fact that we're not getting treated well. And he was very badly brutalized. But during that whole thing, he came up with this thing that he calls the Stockdale Paradox. He's a lecturer and a tutor today in a university. And he said, it's the paradox between faith and facts. And so when he was being interviewed by someone, I read this in a book recently, the interviewer said, who gave up first? Who were the prisoners who gave up first in prison? He said, that's an easy answer. And let me read this. He said, oh, that's easy. The optimists, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, ah, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. You see, we might have faith for ourselves, but oftentimes what I think we do as Christians is that we try to store up this faith and just try and survive in our Christian war, and we forget that other people need to receive the faith that is inside of us because they need faith in order to be able to come close to God themselves. 
And so what we do is, and I've done this before, you know, you invite a friend or you invite a neighbor or something, and they're like, no, I'm not into that stuff. And so we're like, oh, well, that's a bummer. And then you feel kind of rejected. And then you go to the next person and say, would you like to know Jesus? Would you like to come to my church? And like, no, I'm just not into that stuff. Or they reject you. And when you get too many rejections in your faith and you get too many rejections in your life, you start withholding those invitations. You start withholding those words. So there's no word of faith coming out of your mouth anymore. And the facts are, you can go through such rejection in life, you stop pursuing good things. We can even do that in our marriages. We can do that in our jobs. I've been so rejected for promotions. I've been so rejected from being able to become better at handling my finances. I've been so rejected by the the state of my marriage. I'll just stop putting into this thing. I'll just withhold the words that are on my mouth. But the fact is, if you want it to become what you want it to become, it has to come from you first. It's got to come from your mouth. The Bible says the power of life and death is within your tongue. Don't give up your faith just because the facts are saying you're not going to get this resolved until another, listen now, he was there for seven and a half years. And they were saying, no, by a year we'll be out of this. By two years, they started to lose faith. By the third year, they were dead. He kept going because he refused to give up faith by accepting the facts of what was going on. He didn't pretend like it's all gonna be hunky-dory. He dealt with the issues at hand and kept going towards the prize, however long it took. Are you going towards the prize, however long it takes? Are you willing to take the time and say, even though you slay me, God, yet will I praise you. I will give everything I've got inside of me to speak out this word of faith. And it's a word. Last Friday night, we went out with some people for dinner and... um, um, we had uh, uh, decided to get together and talk about uh, good times, family, friends, and ministry, etc. And, um, and so I said to Crystal, we should invite them out. Now imagine if I had said to Crystal, let's invite them out, right? And I said, Crystal, I want you to set up the restaurant and the time. She's like, great, let's go to Macaroni Grill, and we'll do it at 7 o'clock on a Friday night. That'll be wonderful. Okay, so you do that, Crystal, and I'll commit myself to prayer to ask God to lead that couple to the restaurant. So hopefully what will happen is they'll turn up because I pray. So Father, I just pray that you would, you would lead, you would lead that, that. Let's say it's Jim and, and, and Christine. It wasn't you, sorry. Okay, so let's say it was Jim and Christine. Okay, I just pray that Jim and Christine would just find it in their hearts to come to that restaurant, Father. I just pray that you would put it in their hearts to say, you know, I should go and check out that macaroni grill and see if Peter is there, right? They didn't do that. No one does that. Well, we know what we should do. We should fast then and pray. Or what we'll do is we'll consistently go every Friday night at seven o'clock and hopefully the statistics will tell us that maybe they might turn up at the exact same time and we'll finally have dinner with them. Or maybe what we should do is just try and expect that I'll be an example. I'll be an example of what a good uh, uh, diner is at Macaroni Grill and hopefully they'll go, oh, that's what you do. Well, I think I'll follow the same example. No, they turned up because I invited them. I sent an invitation. Hello. Little amens on that one. That was such a home run point, right? This is just the most amazing thing I've ever said. Go back to tongue. That's the part that's working, right? Okay. I invited them. I said, hey, do you want to go out for dinner? And if they had said, no, I don't want to go out for dinner, then I would have said, then I'll find someone else, right? Invitations are so important. If you don't invite people, they can't respond. 
Don't expect them to do what God has called them to do if you've not made the invitation for them to do it. Hello. Listen, it must come from our lips, this invitation. In fact, Jesus told the story, and, and they asked him, what's the kingdom of heaven like? And, and he said, it's like this. It's like a guy who decided to throw the most lavish party. It was a wonderful party. It was a magnificent party. And he called out, and he sent out the invitations to his friends and his family. He said, come and come to my party. It's going to be awesome. And they one by one sent notice to him and said, sorry, we can't come. One of them even said this. They said, hey, we can't come because uh, I'm too busy. The amazing thing is I bumped into someone on Friday night who used to be a pastor themselves, and, and I said, I haven't seen you around much anymore. And they said this to me. I swear, they said, I'm too busy right now. I had just read that in the scriptures from this very scripture in Luke. I'm telling you, people are going to give you reasons why they don't want to be a part of your faith, why they don't want to accept you. Maybe it's because they don't like you. Getoverit.com, right? Moveon.org, whatever. Just get over it and move on to the next person. So the master said this. He said, go out and go to the needy, the ones who really need to eat, the ones who really want to party. Go find them and bring them in. So he did, and they gathered them up and brought them in. And he said, is this all you've got? Go out to the highways and the byways. Go onto the internet highway and go start inviting people. If your neighbors won't come, your friends won't come, if they won't listen to your faith, if they won't listen to the testimony of Jesus Christ in you, then go to somebody else, moveon.com. It's on us to not give up our words of faith from our mouth. We can't afford to fall into this paradox that would make us stop speaking a word of faith. The second word that must be on our tongue is the word of hope. If the word of faith is an invitation, the word of hope is expectation. In Romans 15, 13, he says later on, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may, what does that word say? Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a bath, and I like taking a bath sometimes, right? So I get in a bath, you fill up the bath, you sit in the bath, and the water's too much in the bath. Where does the bath go? Where's the water go? It goes in the overflow. There's a little overflow hole in the top of your bath where the water kind of leaks out. That's what should be happening with you. God has given you an overflow. We just call it our cake holes, right? And whatever is inside of you will overflow through your cake hole when you're not eating cake, right? Now, if you filled it up with politics, that's what's coming out. If you filled it up with criticism, that's what's coming out. If you filled it up with joy and what you believe is God has got in store for you, that's what's gonna come out. We have to decide what is going to come out, whether you like it or not. That hole exists, and something's coming out. Thanks be to God. God has given us an overflow cake hole inside of us. It's coming out. What's coming out of you? I was on a plane recently going up to Chattanooga, and I was sitting beside a lady, and uh, we just struck up a conversation, yabbing away, and... Uh, and, uh, and, and I said, <laughs> and I said uh, where, where, where are you? Are you going home or you're, you're going away? And she said, actually, I'm going home to Chattanooga. I was just down in Orlando recently, and I need to get home uh, pretty quick. And I said, oh, is, is, is everything okay? And she said, my brother just committed suicide, and um, I need to go back. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. Why did you think your brother committed suicide? So we talked through things, different things, etc. And then I said, what's the hardest thing that you've got to cope with right now? And she said, I don't know what to tell his kids. I don't know what to say to them. 
Where's their dad gone? Why did he do this? And I said, can I tell you about a man that I know who has told me what happens when a person dies? I said, I know that they go into the hands of the father. And she goes, but they go into heaven or hell? And I said, I don't know. I don't make that decision. But what I do know is the man who has uh, your, your brother in his hands is the one who is a good God. And he told us this, that he said to his disciples, listen, I'm going to go off to a place. And just, I got to let you know, there's a phenomenal place there. And it's a mansion. And he said, and in my father's house, there are many rooms. And in those rooms, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it wasn't true, I would have told you so. And I said, so tell them how amazing that room is. Tell them their dad is gone to be with the father. And maybe he's helping out. And maybe my dad is helping out. And maybe our ancestors are helping out. And someday we're going to go share that room. Caramel, if you thought you were a great interior designer, you should see what Jesus has in store for us. He has got amazing things in store for that room, that room for you. I'm telling you, we have to have that type of belief and that type of hope in us. And if it's not in hope, if that type of hope is not inside of you, it's not going to overflow. You have to have that deep, that deep belief inside of you that says, if Jesus said it, then it must be true, and I'm not clinging to anything else other than what he has said. And she pulled out her book and said, can you say that again? And started writing the whole thing down. I'm like, just look it up in the Bible. It's right there. Listen, we have got to quit this doom and gloom. There is no pundit. There's no politician. There's no potential president that will save us. Christians need to believe that Christ is the way. Because as soon as he said, there's a place for you and I go to prepare it, right after that, he said, by the way, there is no other way to the Father but through me. We have to decide to put our lives into the hands of God. Listen, look at this. Let your lips and your life align. Overflow with hope. You might have put your life into his hands. Congratulations. But maybe you now need to put your tongue into his hands too and let your cake hole become your overflow of the hope of Jesus Christ inside of you. If it's not inside of you, how are they going to hear? Because hearing is the way that they receive these things. Thanks be to God. Number three, the first one is faith is the invitation. Then hope is the expectation. Therefore, love is the inspiration. Because we are not doing this simply because we've got a job to do or a goal to achieve. If that's what you feel and you're obliged to have to say something just because you feel obligated to do this, you haven't remembered or known what it's about. You see, we're not inviting people to a church. We're not inviting them to a system. We're not inviting them to a program or a meeting that starts at this time and ends at that time. We're inviting them to a relationship with a person. I didn't invite those people out on Friday night because I thought they were hungry or because they needed to eat. I brought them because I wanted to spend time with them. And I hope that they would want to spend time with me. When we're inviting people to learn about the life of Jesus Christ, it's simply because we want them to meet him personally. And here it says in Proverbs 18, 21, the power of life and death is within the tongue. Oftentimes what we do is I believe we try and reveal a way, a system, a process, a 10-step program to people. We don't. We're trying to invite them to a person. That person is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. What that tells me is he has stored up his love 
for those people. He has stored up his love for the world. It's like in a bank account, and there's a million, billion, zillion love dollars in a bank account for people, and they don't know it's there. Someone needs to tell them it's in there, and it's on us to help them to cash it in, to get a hold of it. I have a friend that's a pastor who years ago, he went to a prison, decided to start a prison ministry. And he went into the prison. He just went around different prisoners and he said, I'm gonna start a Bible study here on Thursday nights. Would you like to come? Would you like to come? And he was inviting, 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 right? Which is a great thing. And then as he was leaving the prison, the whole place went into lockdown. The alarms went off. And he went into lockdown. He had to be sequestered into a separate room for a couple of hours. And then he asked them, what's happened? And they said, one of the guys killed himself. And he said, which one? And it was a guy he had invited to his Bible study. And he knew right there and then that God spoke to him very clearly and said this very clearly. Always remember, the devil plays for keeps. Hello, the devil plays for keeps. We have an opponent in this game. If we don't say those words of love to people, somebody else is getting their agents to say something else to that person. The voice or the tape recording might already be in their, their head from what their mother said as a child or from what their father said as a child. And that tape recorder keeps going round and round and round. You're a, you're a stupid child. You're an idiot. You'll never be able to do anything. You'll never be able to amount to much. And that tape recorder is going on and on and on. The agents, our opponents, have already planted their seeds. It's on us to say, I've got news for you. That God so loved who you were that he not only had a great plan for you, but he was willing to let his son die for you so he could open up the door for you to have a relationship with you. That's the good news. There is a million, billion, zillion dollars in the bank waiting for you. And it's full of love. And it's all yours if you want to punch in the numbers and access it. All you have to do is be able to know who Jesus Christ is. For he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, the power is in our tongues. We need to know that everything does rest on the tip of our tongue. And we have to decide something's coming off of that, whether you like it or not. And there are three things that stop people, or the three things that loosen this thing called the tongue. Number one is anger. You may have noticed that, especially when it becomes political season. It becomes political season and then anger starts to stir up and people start saying things that they should never have said. This is something that is very important. The second thing that we do that loosens the tongue is alcohol. I'm telling you, I have never felt so much love from drunk people than I have from drunk people, right? I love you, man. Have I ever told you I love you? I'm like, I don't even know you. I don't care, I love you, man. But the third way is this thing called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what should be loosening our tongue. The Bible said that the Holy Spirit should be inside of us and overflow. If the Holy Spirit is inside of us and it overflows, that is what God wants to give to them. You see, I don't have to have all the right answers. God is not calling the equipped. He's equipping the called. And you are called by God. And he wants to fill you with his spirit. You don't need to become smart. You don't have to become super intelligent. You don't have to have everything figured out in life. You just have to every day say, God, I'm a bath. Fill me up with your spirit. 
Let it overflow. Help me to believe in you. Help me to believe that you go to prepare a place for me. Help me to have words of faith in my tongue that in regardless of the type of opposition I have in front of me, I don't care what the paradox is, my faith will always be in my tongue to say that I will overcome through Christ. Let me tell you, it's on us to do it. People are only going to hear it because we invite them to hear it. Father, I pray right now as we are closing our eyes, I pray, Father, that you would fill each and every person right here in these seats in the name of Jesus with your spirit. You promised us good things and you said you would fill us with your spirit as well. And we're expecting you to fill us with our spirit. It's not because we sing the right song or we dabble or dibble and do all these funny things that make us suddenly more spiritual. It's simply because we ask you, we invite you to fill us with your spirit. The invitation is what all it takes. And we're just inviting you right now to fill us with your spirit. Do something great inside of us. Fill us with your presence. Let something good fill us, Lord. Let something good, a belief that believes that our marriage will become successful that we can overcome all the obstacles in front of us, that all the people that oppose us will fall in front of us because we have handed them over to you, not over to anybody else. Oh God, fill us with your spirit, oh God, this very day. We come to remind ourselves of how good you are. And right now, I want you to take the moment to breathe in his presence, to choose that what comes off the end of your tongue this week will be faith, hope, and love. Because that's what God has designed you for. Regardless of what your mind says, what your heart says, what your bank account says, you're choosing the Spirit of God. Father, we love you and we thank you. Oh, we thank you, Father. We thank you that you did love us, that you put a million, zillion, billion dollars in our bank account. Help us to access it, Lord, so that we will overflow with your spirit. Forgive us, Father, for speaking terror and fear, for speaking these brutal words to each other, to other people, for even withholding our words and not saying anything. We're gonna allow the words of invitation to fill our mouths this week, Father. Open up the door and give us an opportunity, we ask. In your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. And you're going to give each other a spiritual high five and tell them how awesome they are. Have a great day. You want some tongue soup?